Hello, and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. All right, hey, let's dive into the Word this morning. Duncan Campbell, if you've ever heard that name, he was a Scottish evangelist. And he is best known for his role or leading a revival called the Hebrides Revival. It happened in 1949 to 1952. But before he was a leader in that revival, he was a renowned preacher in England. The pinnacle of the English church was a conference that they called every, that they had every year, and they called it Keswick Week. Duncan Campbell was a keynote speaker there year after year. And only the brightest and the best minds were invited to preach at this conference. Duncan Campbell, he spoke there on more than one occasion. But a passing comment by his daughter sent him to his knees and changed his life, his ministry, and the Hebrides Islands forever. Campbell was in his mid-40s. He was what he thought at the peak of his ministry. He was well-known. He was respected. And his presence was requested at just about every speaking event you could imagine. Then his daughter, 15 years old at the time, walked into his office one day and looked at him and said, Daddy, why doesn't God use you today like he used to use you? You see, before he was a well-known speaker, he used to travel. He used to actually ride on his bike from city to city in a movement called the Faith Mission Movement. And God used Duncan Campbell in mighty ways. But now Duncan Campbell was more reformed, more refined, more polished. And when his daughter asked him, Daddy, Why doesn't God use you today like he used to use you? Campbell said it knocked the wind out of his cells because he thought he was at his peak. He thought he had arrived. He thought he was somebody. He was a known speaker. He was speaking from church to church. He had been used in the Keswick week. God, though, wasn't using him like he used to use him. Campbell said when his daughter asked him that question, he tried to put up a good front and he made up excuses. He even tried to do something I've tried to do in my life. He tried to argue it theologically. And he said he held his composure, but the moment his daughter left the room, he fell on his knees. And then he fell on his face. And he began to weep. And he said through hot tears that were streaming down his face, he said, God, my daughter's right. I've lost it. I don't have it anymore. He said, God, if you'll give it back to me, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Three weeks later, he was at the Keswick Week Conference. He had just spoke in one session and was getting ready to speak at another one, sitting in the room ready to speak. And God whispered to him and said, I want you to get up and I want you to go to the Hebrides Islands. And he said, but God, I, I can't. I'm getting ready to speak. They, they don't have anybody to replace me. And God clearly spoke to him on that stage that day and said, Duncan, on the floor of your office, you promised me 
that you would do whatever I told you to do whenever I told you to do it. Duncan, if you go, I will give it back to you. And so Duncan Campbell went. And a heart-wrenching revival was birthed out of his obedience. Thousands were saved and thousands and, and revival swept an entire region. All because of one man. All because of really a conversation with his daughter. Daddy, why doesn't God use you like he used, you, used to use you? And then Duncan became desperate for a touch from heaven. And today as we kick off a new series that we're calling Desperation, I wonder today... Who in this room is desperate for a touch from heaven? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you and I ask you right now, I, I know that you have something to speak and that you want to move today. God, I pray that in this service you remove for every single one of us any distractions that might be hindering us. God, I pray that today in these next few moments you minister to every single heart and every single life. I ask today that you clarify my thoughts and my speech. Give all of us ears to hear. Even me, God, as I minister this word, let me hear exactly what you're saying. And use this message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. These verses will also be on the screen. But Exodus 33. Starting with verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, get going. You and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, go to the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I will give this land to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, the Jebusites, the Parasites, whatever, all those ites. God's driving them out. Get up and go to this land that flows with milk and honey. But listen here. But I will not travel with you. For you are a stubborn and rebellious people. For if I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. We don't like to think of this side of God. We don't like to think that God would get angry at us in our sin. We don't like to see this part of God. We just want God to say, hey, it's okay, you just messed up, you have good intentions. But God says, I'm not going with you because of your rebellion. I'm not going with you because of your sin. And these next verses that I'm getting ready to read to you are the key verses for this entire series. They're, they're why, honestly, I built this series. I, I shaped this series for both of our campuses around these verses right here. And these verses, verse 12 through 17, they have become my prayer for my life. They have become my prayer for my family. They have become my prayer for this church. And listen to what Moses said. One day Moses said to the Lord, this is picking up at verse 12, You have been telling me, take these people to the promised land, but you haven't told me who you will send with us. You've told me, God, this is Moses, he says, you said, you know me by name, and you look favorably on me. And he says, God, if this is true, let me know your ways so I understand them more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember, God, remember who this nation is. This is your people. Look at verse 14. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine with you. But look at verse 15. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us go. 
how will anyone know that you look favorably on me? Or how will they know that you look favorably on these, your people, if you don't go with us? Listen to what he says here. For it's your presence. It's your presence that sets us apart. If we don't have God's presence in our church, what sets us apart? If we don't have his presence in our home, what makes us any different than anyone else? Moses said, God, I'm not going unless you go. God's like, I'll send an angel with you. God, I don't want an angel. I want you. I'll send somebody else in my place. No, I don't want your proxy, God. I want your presence. I'm not going unless you go. I've been in ministry for 25 years. I'm a little older than 44 years of age. And I'll tell you, in my 44 years of life, and in my 25 years of ministry, I've seen a lot. I've seen the good, I've seen the bad, I've seen the ugly. But I have to tell you today, I've attended, I've led, and I've been a part of enough good services to last me a lifetime. In fact, if I'm honest with you this morning... I'm done with good services. Good isn't cutting it anymore. I'm not content. I want more than good. Like Moses, I'm desperate. I want God's presence in my life. I want God's presence in my family. I want God's presence in this church. I want God's presence in this city. When we leave this room, I want his presence to go with us. I want it to seep into our streets. I want it to seep into our schools. I want it to seep into our places of work. Wherever we go, I want his presence to go. For if his presence doesn't go, what's the point? How many of you have ever been on a plane? Raise your hand if you've ever been on a plane. I love flying on a plane. You get there faster. But I'm not sure if you know this about a plane, but being on a plane and being in a church, they have a lot of things that are the same, a lot of things in common. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Chad? Well, both people that are on a, going to a plane or going to a church service are on a journey. Most people are well-behaved on the plane, and most people are well-behaved in the church. Some of you cause problems. Most people are presentable, but you get on a plane or you sit in a church service and you notice some people doze. Some people stare off into space. Some people stare out a window. And most, if not all of us, are satisfied with the predictable experience. And the mark of a good flight and the mark of a good church service is the same. You say, what do I mean by that? We'll say things like, that was nice. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but get off a plane and listen to what people say when they're walking past the flight attendant. Thank you, that was a nice flight. If you're ever listening to people in the audience or in the, in the lobby or whatever, many times many of you will get out and you'll leave a service, you'll shake my hand and say, that was a nice worship service, Pastor. 
And most of us are content. We're okay with nice. We're okay with that was a nice flight. We're okay with that was a nice service. And listen to me. When you exit the church or when you exit the plane, you exit in the same way you enter. And for the most part, many of us are happy and content to return next week. But every once in a while, we find someone who isn't content with okay. We find somebody that isn't good with nice. They long for something more. It's like the little boy that gets on a plane for the first time and his mom and dad tell him, hey, if you're a good boy today, you might get to meet the pilot and go in the, in the cockpit. So the little boy is entering the plane for the first time. He's walking onto the plane and he sees a flight attendant there and he says, hey, my mom said if I'm a good boy, I get to meet the pilot. The pilot overhears the little boy, sticks his head out the window and says, is someone looking for me? And the little boy excitedly proclaims, shoots up his hand, I am, I am, I wanted to meet you, I wanted to meet you. And the pilot looks at him and says, well, come on in. You get to see the plane like many other people never see or experience the plane. The church is that way a lot too. Some of us are content just to get our seat. Some of us are content just to sing our songs. And some of us are content just to hear another message and then go home. But for some of us, getting in our seat isn't good enough. But for some of us, hearing a few songs, it isn't enough. And for some of us, hearing another message isn't good enough. And just like that pilot on the plane, I believe that Jesus is listening for people. I believe that Jesus is looking for some people who are maybe walking in the doors and saying, You think I could meet Jesus today? You think maybe I could meet Jesus today and Jesus, like that pilot on the plane, maybe sticks his head around the corner and says, is somebody looking for me? And I don't know about you, but today I'm saying, I am, I am, I am, I'm looking for you, Jesus. I don't know. I don't know, am I alone in this journey? Or others going with me? There's a stirring rising up inside of me. I was in my office this week studying, and, and I was feeling this stirring, and the Lord reminded me, Chad, that stirring has been there ever since I created you. Sometimes I've silenced it. Sometimes I've ignored it. Sometimes the cares of life get in the way, and I didn't even recognize that there was a stirring inside of me. But there's a fresh cry that's rising up on the inside of me as your pastor, as your friend. There's a stirring that's rising up inside of me that says, I'm no longer content with merely good services. I'm no longer content just to get my seat. I'm no longer content with just some good music or some good preaching. I'm desperate this morning for a touch of heaven. And today I ask you. Are you desperate for a touch from heaven? And I'm not talking about, when I say are you desperate for a touch from heaven, I'm not talking about would you like God to do something in your life. I'm not talking about that. I, I, most of us would like God to do something in our life. Most of us, if we have a sickness in our body, we would like God to heal us. We would like God to bless us financially. We would like for God to bless our marriage or to save a family member or a friend or shoot. We would love for it to snow in the winter in Missouri. Who knows? 
We all want God to do something in our life. But I'm not necessarily talking about that type of desperation today, though I'm not discounting it. And we'll deal with that throughout this series. But today, before we talk about being desperate for what God can do for you, I'm asking you today, are you desperate simply for God? If he never blesses you, if he never heals you, if he never gives you the miracle that you're so desperately seeking for, will you still seek after God? Are you at that place like Moses that says, God, we're not moving unless you lead the way? Or are you at that place like Jacob when he was wrestling with God and he said, I'm not leaving, I'm not getting up from here until you touch me? Are you that desperate for a touch from heaven? What do your actions say? What do your words say? What do your deeds say? I've had to ask myself that question a lot lately. Do my actions show that I'm desperate for God? Do my deeds, do my words show that I'm desperate for God? And I I don't know. You know, I don't know if we really understand desperation for God real well here in America. I don't know if we do. I don't, under, I don't know if we understand it. I, I think we think it's a cool thing if God shows up on Sunday mornings and does something. I think we're excited about Sunday night worship services thinking maybe God will do something special. I think we're okay with that. And we'll go home and we'll brag about it to our family and our friends. And we'll post on social media, hey, God did something great in our services today. I think we're okay. I think we like it if God shows up and heals us or provides an answer to our prayer in the way that we want it answered. And I think we're okay. I think we might even say things like this. Hey, Pastor Chad, I'm desperate for a touch of heaven on Sunday. As long as I can go back to my normal routine Monday through Saturday. Let me say it again. I think many of us are desperate for a touch from heaven on Sundays. As long as we can go back to our routine Monday through Saturday. Anybody awake today? You see, I call that kind of desperation that I think a lot of us have, is I think we call it that's desperation with conditions. Let me say it again. I think the kind of desperation a lot of us have is desperation with conditions. And that's, that's not the kind of desperation I'm talking about in this series. You know, the truth, that's not desperation. I think that's American Christianity. Now in this series, when I talk about desperation, I want to very specifically ask you to think about Moses in Exodus chapter 33, who said, God, I'm not moving unless you move. When I talk about desperation in this series, but not only in this series, I want desperation to rise up inside of your soul. And when you think about desperation, I want you to think of desperation like David said in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. And that word pant there, is an ancient word. It's, it's in the original language, it was a verb, and it, mean, it was the word arag. And it's only mentioned two times in the entire Bible. Psalm 42 and Joel chapter 1, verse 20. 
And, and David, when he's using this, this word, this, this verb to describe his spiritual thirst or his desperation for God, he's comparing it to a deer who's on its last legs from dehydration. He's saying, I'm that desperate for you. It appears to me that there was no one else in Scripture that was desperate for the presence of God like David. I can't find anybody else in all of Scripture. Look at what David wrote in Psalm 63, verse 1. You, God, are my God. Listen to what he says, though. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Another translation says it this way. Not only, it doesn't only say that David eagerly sought him, but that his body fainted for God. Look at what verse 6 says. As I lie in my bed, I remember you. All night long, I think of you. You see, that's the type of desperation I'm talking about in this series. David was desperate for a touch from heaven. And my hope, here's my hope. This would, this would make my life, this would make my year. My hope is that I communicate, as I communicate this message, as Pastor Mark communicates this message in Marshfield, my hope, my desire is that David's desperation would become contagious in our church. My prayer is that this type of desperation for God's presence, not for what God can do for us. I think, I think even sinners are okay if God does a miracle in their life. I'm talking about desperation for his presence. I'll tell you, there's nothing like it when God walks in a room. There's nothing like it, and it doesn't just have to happen on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday. There's nothing like it when you're in your bedroom and God's presence walks in the room. There's nothing like it when you're driving down the road in your car and God's presence comes in your car. There's nothing like it when you're at work or on a baseball field or at a gymnastics meet or wherever that might be when God's presence walks in the room. Listen to me. God wants to be a part of your life. My hope, my prayer is that the very culture of Destiny Church shifts with this series. Our DNA shifts. I want us to move from a church that is okay with nice and good to a church that is desperate for its presence. Let me say that again. My hope and my prayer, Destiny Church, is that through this series, our culture and our DNA would shift and we would no longer be a church or no longer be a people that are just okay or content if with good and nice services. My prayer is that we would be desperate for a touch of heaven and anything less will not suffice. As the deer pants for the water, so our soul pants for you. What we're going to do over the next several weeks is I want to deal with a story or two from the Bible each week that in my opinion paint beautiful pictures of people that were desperate for God. And to kick it off, I want to very quickly show you a story from the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, I want you, this will be on the screen, but I want you to open up your Bible to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's prayer after, listen to me, Psalm 51 is David's prayer after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. 
if you read the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'm not going to read it, I just want to paraphrase it. David sees a woman that he desires. She is bathing on a roof. She is married to a man by the name of Uriah who is one of David's soldiers. David desires to have her. She's not his. She's somebody else's wife. But David forgets who she is, forgets who he is, and says, bring the woman to me. And so he brings the woman to him. He sleeps with her. He gets her pregnant. He looks and he says, hey, we've got a problem here. You know, oftentimes when we sin, we've got a problem. And we try to cover it up and we try to fix it, right? Right? I need to make amends here. I need to fix this. I need to get this covered up. David tries to cover up his sin with Bathsheba. He calls and he says, hey, he calls one of the, uh, he calls and says, hey, bring Uriah back here. Let's get the man sleeping with his wife. Nobody will be the wiser. So he calls Uriah in. Uriah's like, comes back and he's like, hey, go, go rest. David's like, go rest, go sleep with your wife tonight. And Uriah's like, I'm not sleeping with my wife tonight when my men are out there fighting. So David, another day passes. He's like, all right, we got to figure something else out. He tells Uriah, get back in there. And the scripture says, now he's sleeping at the entrance to the kingdom. He's like, I'm not going out there. And sleep with my wife when my men are out there fighting. So David's like, all right, hey, Uriah, take this letter back to the, the front lines of the battle and give it to your, to your general. So Uriah, he takes this note, gives it to the general, and it says, hey, put Uriah on the front. Everybody retreat, have him killed. So David not only commits adultery, he commits murder, and he moves on from it. But God saw. And God knew. And so almost a year later, a prophet by the name of Nathan comes to David and he tells, Nathan a, he tells David a parable in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And after hearing this parable, David looks at this prophet and he says, I have sinned against God. And Psalm 51 is David's prayer of repentance here. David's life encourages me. David messed up big time, yet God still used him. David, Scripture says, was a man after God's own heart. This verse encourages me. Psalm 51 is one of the most powerful chapters, in my opinion, of the Bible. Let's look at it, but we're going to start in verse 11. Look at what David says. Do not banish me from your presence and take your Holy Spirit from me. To me, this is one of the most gut-wrenching Scriptures in all of the Bible. Remember what Moses said in Exodus chapter 33, if you don't go with us, don't make us leave from here. Moses' prayer and David's prayer, these are men who are desperate for more than just nice or good. These are men, these are cries of men who are desperate for God. When David said, God, don't banish me from your presence, he's saying this. He's saying, God, I recognize, listen to me today, that my sin has caused your presence to be absent in my life, and I deserve that. But God, if there is a way that you could forgive me, and God, if there is a way that you could restore me and renew me, God, please don't kick me out of your presence. God, whatever it takes, please don't banish me from your presence. I don't think most Christians ever even think about this. I think we feel like we can do whatever we want, sin however we want, whenever we want, and it's going to be okay. One of my, my five-year-old, one of his favorite Bible stories is Samson. Samson continued to play with sin 
And he finally revealed the secret to his strength, which was cutting his hair. He cut his, he cut his hair. Scripture says he awoke the next morning just like he had every other time and didn't realize that the presence of God had left him. Destiny Church, please hear me. I think the most precious thing that we have is the presence of God. There's nothing better. I think the worst imaginable punishment I could face in my life was for God to look at me and say, you'll never sense my presence again. Please kill me. And before we start diving into stories over the next few weeks from the New Testament about people like blind Bartimaeus or Zacchaeus, people that did desperate things to reach Jesus. I want to take the last few moments today and deal with something that I believe is extremely crucial for those of us who are desperate for a touch of heaven. If you've ever heard a message, please hear this one today. I believe this one thing is a must. I believe we've stopped preaching about it. I believe in churches today we've created a feel-good gospel. I believe we don't challenge people to stop sinning. I believe we teach grace so much that we feel like we can do whatever we want and come back in and God's going to be okay. And I feel like God has just put something in my heart and said, Chad, Destiny Church, I want to move here, but you have to have this, have this. And here's the one thing that God has told me. This must be a church that is known for repentance. Repentance. Repentance is one of the foundations of Christianity. Repentance is mentioned over 60 times in the New Testament alone. Listen, Jesus, his first words in ministry, his very first words in ministry, the very first thing Jesus said was repent. The very first thing Jesus said was repent for your sins and believe the good news. That was his first words. Repent. Repent. You cannot be a follower of Jesus without repentance. But please hear me, and I, and, I, and I don't want to get into a theological debate with anyone in this room. I refuse to get into a theological debate. But repentance is not just a one-time thing. We can't just repent once and say, I'm covered. It doesn't work that way. In fact, Martin Luther said this, the whole of the Christian's life is to be one of repentance. In fact, when you look at David's prayer in Psalm chapter 51, listen to me, after he was confronted with sin, David didn't know Jesus. He hadn't said yes to Jesus yet. Jesus hadn't come. But David was a man of God, right? He was a man after God's own heart. David knew who God was. David was used by God. David was worshiping God. David was a man of God, and he sinned. But listen, this, so this prayer of repentance is not before he became a follower of Christ or a follower of God. This is afterwards. Are you tracking with me? This was after. This would be, in essence, after you had said yes to Jesus and you messed up. This would be a type of prayer that we would want to pray after we've sinned. Repentance is not, hey, I said it when I was 12 at church camp. I'm good. No. 
Repentance is a daily thing. Listen to what David said in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Listen to verse 3. For I recognize my rebellion. Destiny Church, please hear me. We have to recognize our sin. And David says, it haunts me day and night. Listen, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Please hear me today. Our sin causes the fullness of God's presence to be absent in our lives. When we live in sin, God's presence cannot dwell in your life. Isaiah 59, 2 says, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Let me say again, Isaiah 59, 2, write it down. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned his back. And the only cure I see for this is repentance. And biblically, I see that repentance precedes, always precedes moves of God. Exodus 33, the people mourned. Psalm 51, David repented. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, repent, then I will hear from heaven, heal their sins and forgive their land. You see it in Acts chapter 2. People repented. Thousands were saved. Thousands were baptized. You see it in Acts 3. And I could go on and on and on. Destiny Church, I say all this today to say, as your pastor, I'm desperate for a touch from heaven. God has whispered in my heart, I want to do something special in Destiny Church. I'm setting this church up for a move of God. But it starts with repentance. It starts with repentance. And listen to me, we will not experience a true, tangible touch from heaven without true repentance. Acts 3, 19 through 20 says, repent and turn to God so he might forgive you of your sins. And listen to what verse 20 says, and then spiritual strength will come from the Lord. Repent and then his presence will overwhelm you. Webster's Dictionary says this of repentance. It's such sorrow for the past that it leads to an amendment of one's ways. And that's what I'm after today and that's what I'm after in this series, an amendment of our ways. Let me close by saying this. People who are truly desperate for a touch of heaven are willing to amend their ways. People who are desperate for a touch of heaven. Listen to me. Every single one of you hear me today. I want you to look here and I want you to hear what God is saying from every single section in this room from front to back. People who are desperate for a touch of heaven, not people who are desperate for a miracle. But people who are desperate for, people who are desperate for the very presence of God will look inside their heart and amend their ways. I know some of us, a lot of us, I, I walk in here week after week feeling like I'm fine, but this week the Lord has really dealt with my heart. Says, Chad, I need you to amend your ways. Repentance, listen to me, is not simply turning from your sin. You have to turn to something else. Repentance is turning to God. Repentance is not just feeling sorry. Repentance is being convicted that you hurt the heart of your father. Repentance is privately being humbled by God so that you can be visibly reformed. Let me say it again. Repentance is privately being humbled 
I don't need to embarrass you because of your sin. That's not what God's saying. I believe repentance is when you are privately humbled in your heart and your heart is broken, but you are visibly reformed and visibly changed. It's a directional change in your life. Hear this today. Repentance is a directional change in your life from sin to God. From sin to God. Today I challenge you, if you're truly desperate for a touch of heaven, I'm not talking about a tingle. I like feeling tingles in the presence of the Lord. I like when God walks in the room and I can sense it. You know those goosebumps that kind of run up and they explain, something's changed in the room. I like that. I'm not talking about that today. I'm not talking about a nice service. I'm talking about those of us. I'm wondering if there's anybody in this room that's like Duncan Campbell from the Hebrides revival. We'd fall to our knees. And say, I lost it. I used to have it. I lost it. God, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm wondering if there's some people in the room like that today that'll say, God, I'm that desperate for a touch from heaven. It starts with repentance. And today that's what we're going to do in this room. I want us to repent. All across this room, that's why we started with two songs, so we can worship at the end, so that we can repent. And my prayer has been that the Holy Spirit throughout this message and throughout this day and throughout this altar call would walk through these aisles and that he would take out his flashlight. There's only a way that God can kind of shine things in your heart that you're like, oh, I didn't know that was there. My prayer is that he walks through the room and lights up some things in your life that you're like, man, I need to repent of that. I close with Psalm 51, verse 7 through 10. David said, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit in me. Today we're going to repent. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.